If you're a pre-product stage startup, what kind of things should you be including in your pitch deck in order to convince investors to fund you as opposed to some of the other startups out there who are way further along? Welcome back to another episode of the Launch Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Care, founder of LaunchPeer. And today we're going to be talking about what exact specific element should you include and and what kind of things should you not include uh, in your really early stage startups uh, pitch deck and also your pitch because I I like to treat those two things as separate things. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump right into the question. Hi Jake, I got accepted to a pitch competition in my hometown, which I'm really excited for, but I'm also nervous because I'm the only startup out of the group pitching who's pre-product. What kind of information should I include in my pitch deck or my pitch that will convince the investors who attend that I'm still worth investing in? Hey, this is a great question, but before I answer it in detail, and I will, I'm going to go through like exactly what content you should have in your deck and your pitch when you go up on stage. But I kind of want to alleviate some of your concerns first before you panic. <laughs> uh, we, I, we've worked with a lot of startups here at LaunchPeer, and a lot of them have gone on to you know do pitch competitions and stuff like that, and that's always great. One thing to note, though, is how investors treat you when you're at this stage because i'm assuming that even though you're the only one that's doing the pitching that's pre-product everyone else who's doing the pitching probably isn't that far past you you know they're probably still in that like pre-seed pre-product uh they're definitely not pre-product but at least in that pre-seed maybe early seed range right and when you look at it that way the way that the investors are going to be vetting you is going to be pretty consistent it doesn't matter if you're post-product or pre-product. Obviously, the farther you can get, the easier it'll be to raise capital. That's always true and always will be true. It's easier for a startup that has $100 million in revenue uh, to raise capital than a startup who has a million in revenue, than a startup who has 1000 in revenue, than a startup who has zero in revenue. Uh, so that's always going to be true. But one of the things to, to know is how investors look at you. So when you're in pre-seed or early seed, the investors are going to be weighting their criteria. 80% of it's going to be around you. How passionate are you about the idea? Uh, you know, what's the team look like if you have one? What do, do they trust you? Do they feel like you can get the business to where it needs to go? And then the twenty percent is going to be things like the numbers. And the reason that it's that ratio is because there's not a whole lot to look at on the numbers side, right? They can look at the idea, but ideas change, especially if it's early on. They look at the market, but the market, the target market changes. That's just how startups go. Once you get past that and you get to like the higher seed uh, area, that's when the ratio shifts a little bit to where it's a little bit more 50-50, where they're looking at you still, very important, but they're also able to look at a little bit more of the numbers, the metrics, how far the pro- the product has come, all of that stuff. And then when you get to Series A and beyond, it becomes a little bit more 20-80, where it's like 20% is about the team and the founders, because you've already proven yourself. So not that they don't find that important, it's that that stuff has already been vetted because you've you've been able to get the startup to this point here where you're at a Series A or beyond. Now, a lot of the vetting is going to be centered around, centered around, is this business model viable? What's the revenue look like? What's the burn rate? What's the expenses? Who's on the team? How fast is it growing? Like much more metrics driven when you get to that. So the reason I'm trying, I'm saying that to you before I dive into what you should include is that don't feel that investors are going to be looking at you so much differently than the other startups who are up on that stage. What I'm going to describe to you in terms of what you need to say during the pitch is going to be 
very consistent across the board. Okay. So the first thing that you're going to want to include in your pitch is going to be your, and I'm going to actually walk through all of these elements. There's about, there's 10 elements that you're going to want to include in the pitch in the pitch deck. And then I'll go back and kind of work my way through each one, giving you a little bit more detail about each one. So the first thing that you're going to want to include is the hook. Second, the problem. Third, the solution. Fourth, the market size. Five, the business model. Six, go-to-market plan. Seven, validation. Eight, projections. Nine, the team. And then 10, a call to action at the end. Okay. So now let's go ahead and start back up at the top and walk through each one of these in detail. So number one is the hook. The hook is by far the most important part of whether or not your pitch is going to be successful. Because what the hook does is it gets the person to either pay attention or it gets them to tune out what it is that you're even presenting. Don't take for granted that just because you have a meeting or that you're up on stage that people are going to pay attention to you. It's 2022. Half of those people are definitely going to be on their phones. At least uh, half of them are going to be on their phones. You need to be able to pull them out of that and get them to look at you and pay attention to you. So an example of a strong hook, a good opening, one of the things I don't like about most startup founders when they do their hook, their opening is they say something like, hi, I'm Jake and I'm the founder of Launchpeer. What we're doing is we are blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares yet. Nobody cares about who you are. <laughs> Nobody cares about what you're trying to do. They, they just don't care about any of those things yet. You need to get them to care about it. So instead of me starting off a pitch like that, I would probably start off a pitch instead, right at first line, wouldn't introduce myself, nothing. I would just get up on stage and say, when I was 14, I was homeless. And what I would have to do at that time was I'd have to figure out a ton of different ways to make money, selling artwork to my friends, uh, betting on money at football games. I didn't realize that, but 20 years later, when I look back on it, that's where I, my entrepreneurial spirit was born. And my passion is to help other people start and grow their own businesses to help them regardless of their situation. And that's why we're building Launchpeer. You see how the difference between whether or not someone's going to pay attention, even me saying that to you on this podcast, you're like, what? Like you probably got you to like, oh, to perk up a little bit, right? And that's what you want. And look, not everybody's going to have a story like that. And that's fine. Um, it just, it's dependent on what you can and can, like what you can get away with, right? What, what could you say? What unique story can you tell? What good hook can you describe for what it is that you're trying to do? And we've helped founders create really strong hooks for years now. And I haven't found a situation where you weren't able to do that. The second thing that you're going to want to cover is the problem. And this is really straightforward. This is just what is it that you, your product is trying to solve? Not the features, not any of that stuff, just literally what problem are you trying to solve? And even better, if you can include some sort of metrics to go along with it, then that would be great. So like for Launchpeer, I might say something like, um, you know, there's a lot of, found, and this is one thing that founders typically get wrong on the problem side is that they use too many assumptions on the problem side, you know, like they make, they leap to too many conclusions without being able to back it up. So what I would say is, uh, you know, the path to starting a startup is, uh, to, the bar is too high for most people. Like the risk is just too great for most people. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, right? Like what do I have to back that up? Well, I might not have an exact stat to back it up that people don't start a business because it's too risky, but I do have stats related to how many startups fail. So I can, it's not a, a huge leap in logic to say, you know, the reason that most people don't start a startup, even though they might have a great idea is because over 90% of startups fail within two years and the average amount of money that the typical person spends building their startup before it fails is somewhere around eighty to 
and I I can back up those stats with articles or you know third party resources or whatever. So when you describe the problem, you want to keep it simple and don't leap to too many conclusions. Then what you want to do is introduce the solution. And I'm very carefully saying introduce the solution on purpose because no one cares about every individual feature of your product right now. All they care about is you just described the hell of your ideal user. Like what hell are they living in right now? Nobody wants to really know the road yet to get from hell to get them to heaven. And the solution that you're going to be describing is heaven. So I don't want you to describe the exact steps, which is the features that it's going to take to get from hell to heaven, especially during a pitch. You can talk about that later. I just need to know what the solution is and be able to connect the dots that that solution is a good way or could be a good way to solve the problem that you were talking about. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example on this. If I described the problem like Uber and said, well, taxis are inefficient, customer service is really poor, we're going to be building Uber and it's going to be a way to get taxi drivers to be nicer to people. Okay. I probably wouldn't be convinced, right? But if you instead said the solution is for us to be able to allow anyone to, you know, drive anyone around and book a ride at the click of a button, I don't need you to get into all the intricacies of the features and how the app is going to work and all that stuff. You can go into a tiny bit of detail, but please on a pitch on stage, especially, don't have like six or seven slides describing the product. Nobody cares. Okay? They can ask you about it after. The next thing that you want to cover is the market size. And typically the way I like our founders to break this out is in three groups. There's total market. Uh, so this is everyone who could possibly use your product. Okay. And the problem is most startup founders, they typically stop there. You know, let's say their app is something that's like pretty, you know, usable across the board by anyone that's at least as long as they're over 18. Well, that total market, you're right, would be anyone who's over the age of 18, which is X number of million people. But if you stop there, the investors are going to think like, there's no way that you're going to be able to get that whole market. Is that what you're trying to do? So what you want to do is have a second group here of your serviceable market, which is what's the group that you're really going to be focusing on. Um, so that could be uh, like for Launchbee, for example, a total market might be everyone who is over the age of 18 who wants to start a business because you have to be over 18 to incorporate, right? And then I might say that my serviceable market is anyone who, um, like the amount of people who are actively wanting to start companies every year. And there's a lot of stats out there that I can find about that. And then my target market, and this is especially true when we were early on, today it's not as true, but my target market might be a sliver of that of people of that group who's non-technical. Like who doesn't have the technical skills to be able to build their own product. And so that's the target I'm going to go after first. If you're looking at Uber, they might have a total market of anyone who can drive. And then they have, might have a serviceable market of any the number of people who book taxis. And then a target market of people who are located in San Francisco and New York. And then they're going to expand out from there. Yeah. So that's your market size. And you want to have very good numbers with the market size, not necessarily like so exact, but you want to have the numbers of the slides on the slides. Okay. X number of million people or whatever. The next thing you want to include is the business model. So how are you going to make money? And this is probably, if you looked at the, the pitches, the things that the investors are going to care about the most are going to be market size, business model. Like they're going to want to look at those things typically first before they even make a decision on whether they should look at the rest of the deck. And I've seen, I've seen investors actually go through slides before, like go through pitches. I've watched them do it. And what I've seen them do is like, 
they'll really quickly skip down to business market size business model they'll skip really quickly down to the team and then if they are interested still then they'll go through and do like a more comprehensive deep dive into the rest of the deck it's kind of an interesting thing that they do right but anyway so with the business model, you want to just very briefly describe how it is that you're going to make money and, and state this in as simple terms as possible, like one or two sentences. We're going to be charging a subscription of $9 a month. We'll have a premium plan of $19 a month. Don't describe all the features that somebody gets for being, you know, for upgrading or anything like that. Just very simply state what it is that you're going to be doing to make money. Then you want to have, talk about your go-to-market plan. How are you going to get your first users and customers. This is especially important for those of you who are pre-product because what the investors don't want is they don't want to feel like they're going to be giving you this money to figure that part of it out because that's probably the most important part. A lot of early stage founders think that the product development part is the most important part. That is absolutely not true. Anyone can go build an app today. It's like not that difficult of a thing. It's kind of commoditized now where you can find anyone in you know a few hours to go build a product for you. What you can't find is somebody who can sell your vision, mission, and communicate to your target audience very easily. And so they want to know that you have at least thought through how you're going to go and get your first customers and users. One thing that you should avoid here, and then I do see startups do all the time, is say, well, our market's so big, we're going to be trying to capture 1%. Okay, but how? How are you going to get that 1%? Because even if you say, like, I think a lot of founders just assume that because you say it's 1%, that that's going to mean that that shouldn't be that difficult, right? To, to get 1%. But it is difficult. It's, it's difficult to get 1%. So you can't stop there. It's okay to say that, but you need to be able to back it up. And that's where the next section comes in, which is validation. If you're a pre-product stage startup, you need to be able to show what level of validation that you've achieved up to this point here. Now, the benefit that our founders at Launchpeer get is our proof stage here at Launchpeer, which essentially gets them very specific data-driven metrics that they can utilize in order to show very clearly to an investor, hey, our, our target market is gonna be X number of people during our validation, we actually tested going after those people. We ended up paying three dollars and twenty-seven cents to acquire one user, uh, you know, in a in a test scenario. Uh, and if you want to find out more about that, you can go to our YouTube channel, and we have a whole video about our proof before product process. But you know, we did this, and so if we look at this from a projections perspective, which is the next slide that we would want to have on there we're going to be able to acquire that many users within this time period with as long as we have this much money to be able to put into marketing and sales right and so and that's a good way to introduce the fact that you're raising x number of dollars right if you can connect those dots and say okay this is how we're going to make money this is what our go-to-market plan is and we know that it works because we validated it and here's what those numbers were and we fed those numbers into our financial projections and this is what those projections look like and you can see here that this is how much money capital we need in order to get to that point here. And so that's what we're looking to raise. And then you move on to the team slide. You see how you can connect those dots really easily. And one thing that you'll find with good pitch decks is they kind of like flow very naturally from one slide to the next and one part of the pitch to the next as opposed to like feeling really blocky and you're going from like one slide and then you're saying next slide. The problem, the problem with blah, 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 blah is this. Okay, next slide, solution. The solution to this is blah, blah, blah. Like usually a good pitch just flows really naturally throughout. The next thing that you're gonna wanna have after projections is gonna be the team. It's also very simple. It's just a photo of you with some information about what makes you awesome 
or your also your team members and some information about what makes you guys awesome. And then at the end, you want to have a call to action. And this is really important because a lot of founders don't realize that investors, sometimes the good ones, will share deal flow with each other, which means they'll send pitch decks of startups to people that they know who they think might be a good fit. Because by doing that, they build up social capital and then hopefully those other people send deals to them when it's time. And so having a call to action at the end of your slide is really simple. It's just like saying something like, uh, you, you want to help us, uh, you want to help us further our path down this road, uh, then, you know, here's our email, here's our phone number. Uh, you know, we'd love to help answer any questions, right? That way, if somebody sends your deck to someone else, they don't have to wonder like, how do I get a hold of these people? It's like, no, the email is right there. The phone number is right there. Like they can reach out very easily if they want to, you know? Um, but that's it. So what last thing I'll say on this is don't stress out, you know, being a pre-product stage startup, um, and competing in a pitch deck against startups that have a uh, product already. Um, if you're concerned about that, it's just because you're probably putting too much stock in the fact that the product exists. And in 2022, it's it's not as important to have a product in the market when you're talking about raising your first round of capital than it was five or 10 years ago. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Chat Podcast. If you have your own question you want to get answered on the show, just visit launchchat.com and send us your question either anonymously or let us know who you are so we can shout you out on the show. Also, leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast host you listen to us on. It definitely helps us spread the word about the podcast and we'll see you guys on the next episode.